As you start to reach more people, things start to feel more complex. There's more to do and more to keep track of, and it starts to actually take time away from creating content. I felt this struggle personally. The more creator science grew, the more it felt like I was dropping the ball. So I did something about it. I built a set of rock solid systems all in Notion to support the business as we grew and it worked like a charm. I've now taken my personal Notion setup and productized it. It's called Creator HQ and it's the complete operating system that you need for your creator business. I built Creator HQ to be an all-in-one workspace designed to save you more time, create more content and drive more revenue. By leveraging Creator HQ, we are publishing more than we ever have, and we're nearing $1 million in annual revenue because of it. It brings all of your data and processes into one place with custom-built dashboards to reduce friction in managing tasks, creating content, and collaborating with your team. I've seriously spent more than three years building this, and now you can have the same systems that I use right out of the box. In the lab, one of our members just posted, I have spent the last few weeks diving into Creator HQ, learning how it works, and making it my own. This is the first time in a while that I felt this organized and filled with hope that I can find a workflow that will work for me with my whole business. This is gold. I will definitely be giving a testimonial for this badass product. If you're new to Notion, don't worry. I've included a ton of specific tutorials to help you learn how to use Notion generally and Creator HQ specifically. I've never seen another Notion product integrate tutorials like we have here. More than 300 other creators are already using Creator HQ, and I am not exaggerating when I say I would be lost without this system. Creator HQ is what keeps the trains running over here. As a podcast listener, I'm giving you my best price. You can get 10% off using the promo code podcast at checkout. Just head to creatorhq.co to watch the video and learn more. That's creatorhq.co and use promo code podcast to save 10%. I hate this question. Because <laughs> it's really hard? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it is. It, it, it genuinely is. That's Angus Parker, the general manager for Ollie Abdal. He's the guy building out the dream team behind Ollie's YouTube empire that generated around 120 million views and over $5 million in 2023 alone. This episode is all about one of the most important but least talked about topics in the YouTube space, hiring. And Angus is the perfect guy to teach us about it. There was one person before me, and now we are basically a core team of 12, supplemented by maybe 10 to 20 freelancers and contractors. Today you'll learn how you need to think about hiring. I think the obvious thing if you currently don't have a team at all, and even if you do, is... What positions you should hire first. I see a lot of creators go down the route of, I'll hire a scriptwriter and a video editor and a thumbnail designer. and a... <laughs> The issue with that for me is mistakes that you need to avoid one of the mistakes we made initially was relying too much on the traditional approach of and a hot take that some people might not like i think incentives are never truly aligned when and work together if i'm a creator watching this what would you say is your you know next step or overall advice for me to think about my next steps with hiring or building a team or even deciding if I should? I think the obvious thing if you currently don't have a team at all, and even if you do, is literally mapping out your system and what it currently looks like. What is your process of production currently look like? And as a percentage, where are you currently investing your time? Like, what does that look like? And are you happy with how that's divided? I think it's very easy in this creator space, in this modern world, I guess, to just operate at 300x speed and not actually stop and think what does my current system look like and where are the bottlenecks where am i currently spending my time i don't want to be spending my time and so combining sort of 
that with the traditional kind of uh, matrix of what do you love doing, um, what do you like doing, but don't want to be doing, what do you don't like doing and don't want to be doing like that kind of uh, division as well. Combining those two things, I think, would allow you to get visibility on where you need to hire. And then it's a case of pulling the trigger and, and trying to hire someone if you can, who can sit across multiple different seats. So you can start building up that kind of generalist person who potentially then could become more of that right-hand man, that COO sort of person who could then take on management responsibilities, which are currently holding, holding you back and therefore holding the channel back. How big was the team when you joined? There was one person before me, a remote editor. So <laughs> I was the first sort of in-person employee. So we have expanded from, yeah, two or three um all the way up to 19 at one point and now we are we are at uh, 12 full-time plus alley so 13 team of, team of 13 beneath me we have a fairly flat structure that's broadly split into two different areas we have the content team and the commercial team on the content side of things we have a youtube producer a podcast producer someone managing the book we have someone managing the website we have someone managing socials and we have our sort of editing squad and then the commercial side of the team which is our sort of courses at the moment, that's a team of three. We have a head of marketing, a head of product, and a head of uh, customer success, which is essentially sort of product delivery. So that's like the core team of 12. But we then have probably between 10 and 20, depending on the time of year, freelancers and contractors that we rely on beneath those that core team um, who are pulled in to help with, as I said, like product delivery on the customer success side of things. Or on the content side of things, it's mainly editors. So we have five or six freelance editors doing shorts um, and then one or two uh, freelance editors helping out with Ali's main channel as well. So that's kind of the, core, the the main structure. So it's basically a core team of 12, supplemented by maybe 10 to 20 freelancers and contractors. I want to go back to that time when it was you and Ali and a, a freelance editor. What did it feel like then? Like, what was your experience? What were your expectations even when you joined the team at that time? Yeah, when, when I joined the team, I joined off the back of a cold email, just helping to help with research, essentially. So first couple of months, it was essentially just contributing towards videos. It was just before the pandemic hit. But it, it felt very much like a startup. I mean, it still does to a certain extent, but it, it didn't necessarily feel like it was, I was going to say like a, a, a real job per se, but like it, it didn't it didn't have that kind of same vibe to it, but it was always fun. There was no sort of formal structure to things because it didn't, didn't necessarily need it. We... Certainly, I wore multiple hats, you know, started as a researcher and writer, then learned how to edit and did editing, then kind of ended up sort of, I guess, producing the channel because I was still working as a doctor at that point. So I was doing sort of all the admin behind the channel as well. And we've retained some of that vibe. But obviously, as we've grown, there's need to be a bit more structure imposed. But at that point, at the start, it was very much like a like a startup. And we were kind of at the at the start of something that could potentially grow into something far bigger. Do you remember how big the channel was at that time? Yes, it just passed 500,000 subscribers. I think 520,000 when I joined. Wow. So he was still flying mostly solo up to 500,000 subs. Pretty much, yeah. So he hired his first, like, because well, the editor when I joined was full-time and he hired him in the October before, so about three months prior. So he was more or less solo up until around 400, 450 subs. I appreciate all this context because I think this is helpful to anchor people who are watching this to, to compare where they are now with where things were then. Yeah. That is a more mature channel than I would have expected before like the start of, of hiring. You know, when you guys were having conversations, like how, how stretched do you think 
Ollie felt at the time? Did it feel like, oh man, I really need a number two or was it like, I need a writer, you know? I think it was less that he felt stretched and more that he didn't realize that he needed to outsource. And I think if, if you asked him now, would he outsource earlier and hire a team earlier, he would definitely say yes. I think his kind of turning point was, he, he often tells this story when he was leaving the hospital one day, someone who, I, th- I don't know whether it was a doctor or whether it was just someone visiting the surgery, recognized him from YouTube and they got talking and turned out this guy was kind of a, a business coach and ended up doing like a free session with Ali. And part of the session, they, they wrote kind of boxes on the page of the different segments of the production process. And the guy was like, where, put, put where you're currently spending most of your time as percentage. And sort of 70% was in editing. And he was, and that was when Ali, I think, clicked in Ali's mind of like, this is where I need to be reinvesting in the channel and freeing up my time because my time is worth more than the time it's taking me to do this particular task. And so I think it was more that realization of the time sink in certain areas of the channel that made him realize actually outsourcing is something that I need to do rather than him getting to a point where he realized he literally couldn't do it because of burnout or anything like that and needing to outsource. So as I said, I think if, if he was to go back and, and start over again, hiring earlier would definitely be something that he would do, especially the editing side of things. It's always something that we we advise people do um, because I think it is the biggest time sink and it's the biggest area where someone with decent editing skills and technical abilities can be far better than than you, even if you think that your style's not replicable, which is the main excuse for people not outsourcing stuff. I bring all this up because when you joined, you joined as a writer. Yep. And now you are uh, the right hand. You're like running the whole team, the day to day. I want to hear your experience of when you stopped looking at this as I'm a writer to I'm growing into a bigger role. I'm thinking about the strategy of the company because, you know, you, you said there was a there was a part time editor also like. Who's to say that guy couldn't have stepped into that role early on? So there, there's something that drove you to say, I'm going to be this this person. Yeah, I think there were kind of two two moments that I can kind of call to. One was sort of midway through 2020, i.e. my first year when we were still a team of four. I actually had two offers to go and do master's degrees that were starting that September. In my mind, for like the first six months of 2020, I was still going to probably go and do those. And this was like a stopgap job. But when... Skillshare started to take off and the company was growing, the channel was growing and I was starting to kind of actually enjoy what I was doing with the editing and things. That was when I made the decision, actually, this is a, this is a long-term thing and I'm committing to this. And then the second moment was probably after we'd launched the part-time YouTube Academy in November of that year. And that went very well. We realized that we needed to hire more people to be able to continue to run that Academy as well as continue to put content out on the channel. And we made the decision to hire writers, i.e. to support the content production rather than support the production of the um, YouTuber Academy, because myself and and Elizabeth, who was working for Ali at the time, could handle that. And when they joined, there was a need for sort of some level of management to be able to then oversee what was then for other people aside from me and Ali. And so when I started, you know, when I I took that on, those management uh, responsibilities on, when Ali asked me to do that, that was probably the, the second moment when... I thought, actually, this is, you know, this is a more managerial responsibility, more a, a bigger role that I can step into and, and, and take forward. Something that you said that may be obvious, but I want to point out, you said there was a time when there were, you know, four other people besides Ollie, and there was this need for a manager. Mm. And when there's not a manager, by default, I would assume the creator, in this case, Ollie, is that manager, yep. which is a huge 
responsibility, time suck. And so th- this is the point where I think a lot of people watching this may be at right now. Maybe they don't have four uh, part-time or full-time people, but they're probably overseeing multiple people and saying, I'm spending as much time managing as I am creating, mm. which is a completely different skill set. For sure. And I think one thing which which Ali did quite early on, which I think w- w- was good, was he realized that he is not necessarily got the skill set to be a kind of full-time manager. Not just not just the skill set, but I guess, you know, he doesn't want to be a full-time manager of people, but fundamentally his strengths lie in creating content. That's when he realized that actually offloading that onto someone else and having someone in that sort of what we call the integrator position is actually really important for, for creators. And I think it's something which is often overlooked by creators is having someone in that sort of right-hand man slash um, integrator slash kind of COO kind of role is probably one of the most crucial roles that you could you could hire for after the editor, in, in my view. Ali kind of did it accidentally, but having someone like myself, like someone who's can is happy to be a generalist and do multiple things and then step up into that role of just like COO and overseeing the expansion and building upon uh, the, the current company size and hiring people, that kind of thing is almost like key to successfully growing a company, a creative company, I think, because having that person that you can trust and to, to run operations whilst you carry on creating it's kind of really, really important. Otherwise, you will end up burning out and not enjoying the process of creating and, you know, burning out both literally and figuratively in terms of like the channel itself uh, will kind of eventually um, die. And so, yeah. Th- this is the thing, though. So creators are so skilled at upskilling. You know, you mentioned a couple of times like it's it's an interest thing. I think there are creators who get to a point where it's not that you can't manage people. It's that maybe you don't have the interest in managing people and that's okay. Or as you said, it comes at an opportunity cost, the cost of creating and doing these things. After a quick break, Angus and I talk about the first hires you would recommend creators make. So stick around and we'll be right back. If you know me, you know how much I believe in memberships. My membership is the core of my business and earning an income directly from your audience is one of the most sustainable ways for you to become a professional creator too. So I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Uscreen. Uscreen is a beautiful all-in-one platform that helps content creators earn a living from their videos by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. You can host private live streams for your members, build an on-demand catalog of premium content, and Uscreen gives you a community hub to interact with your members too. They can access your community from their mobile phone, so your membership is right there in their pocket. With a Uscreen account, you get video hosting, an out-of-the-box website, full payment and subscription management, and plenty of third-party integrations too. And Uscreen makes it easy to get set up. You get access to powerful website themes that are fully brandable with no coding skills required. Uscreen will even provide a dedicated success manager for you. Just about anyone that wants to make money from their content can do it with Uscreen. It's perfect for coaches, authors, influencers, and entrepreneurs in just about any niche. Right now, Uscreen is used by creators in fitness, education, news, kids entertainment, and more. That includes Yoga with Adrian and Creator Now, just to name a couple. Uscreen is the platform for building a video membership site that is great for generating a sustainable income for professional creators. If you create video content for your audience, I highly recommend checking it out. If you're interested in learning more about Uscreen, visit uscreen.link slash j. That's U-S-C-R-E-E-N dot link slash j and let them know that I sent you. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Last year, my wife and I started talking about her joining the business full time. 
This is a huge decision, not just for the business, but for our marriage. My wife, being the very smart and thoughtful woman that she is, suggested that we proactively sign up for therapy as a couple to help us communicate better before we started working together. It really helped us have better language to describe how we're feeling and listen to one another, which generally lowers the intensity of any conversation. Now, I had never been in therapy before, but here's something that I didn't expect. It didn't just help our dialogue, but it helped my inner monologue too. The way I understand my own experience has changed based on the tools that I got from therapy. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's convenient, it fits your schedule, and you can be in the comfort of your own home. Just fill out a short questionnaire and you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. They even make it easy to switch therapists if it doesn't feel like a fit. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com creator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash creator. And now back to my conversation with Angus Parker. You've said a couple things that I want to double click on to make sure I'm hearing right. It sounded like you suggested the first hire for a lot of people is a video editor and the second hire is a general manager. Yeah, some some nuance in terms of definitely for like YouTubers. Yes, video. I mean, I would suggest video editor is, is the main hire. Exception being if video editing is your your jam <laughs> um, and your like main thing and part of your channel is about video editing. But um, in broad strokes, yes, video editor and then. I wouldn't necessarily say general manager or hire it as a general manager. I would probably more say content manager to start with, but a content manager who you can test to be able to both write as well as project manage. I think like those are the two key qualities. And if you're a creator who's looking to both expand their creative uh, content in terms of output, but also thinking about commercialization, having someone who can write and is capable of writing both scripts as well as things like or at least some capabilities of writing copy and VSLs and things like that is also important. And this is like a difficult skill set to hire for, definitely. But it's something which I think people should think about. And, and often just enthusiasm and work ethic will get someone to a, a, a level which could serve a lot of creators. But I think too many people kind of try and hire specific roles at that stage. And I actually think you need someone and or a couple of people who are happy wearing multiple different hats. Because as I mentioned at the start, that kind of stage of a creator's journey is very much startup mode where you need to be happy wearing multiple hats and the only role which is really probably specific is the editor because that is a very technical skill you guys have a well-known brand and platform so i imagine maybe hiring doesn't get easier but getting interested talent probably gets a little bit easier if i'm if i'm getting started and i want to hire how do you recommend i go about finding talented people I hate this question. Because <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it is. It, it, it genuinely is. Like, I, I hate but love it at the same time because it's a really interesting space. Um, but I get this question a lot from Ali. We, we have the uh, Part-Time YouTuber Accelerator, which is our kind of group of students who are on a 12-month package and I have office hours. And, and often I get this, literally this question. And it, it's difficult because we are in a privileged position whereby we can create a job description, put it on, on, out on Ali's Twitter and Instagram, and we get a lot of in, inbound. But I can't recommend that to anyone else, obviously, because <laughs> we're, we're very fortunate to have that. So I think this is where there's a, there's a big problem at the moment in the creator space in that there is not a a... a a filtered and accurate and, and, and quality kind of job site, I don't think. We have YT Jobs, which I think is is good and it's a good start, but I think there is still more to do on this on this side of things. 
I think YT Jobs is, is really it's really positive step in the right direction. I just think there is so much on there that it's quite difficult to filter through the qual- the quality talent from the best quality mm-hmm. talent and find those diamonds in the rough, and that can take time. So you've got YT Jobs, you've got Fiverr, you've got People Per Hour, like all of these platforms are the ones that we generally sort of recommend. And it, and it is it is tricky, and I, I know I'm not really answering your question, but it's it's really hard um, because I just don't think the recruiting side of the creator space is quite caught up with where the demand is at the moment. Shall we say like uh, job hunting platforms is somewhat tricky because the creator space is still trying to, I think, trying to break into that more traditional job space, which does make it difficult to hire roles which are not I, th- I think basically are not video editing or potentially thumbnail design. A thumbnail design is coming on board and script writing is somewhat getting there. But even then, it's still a relatively small pool of of people who are really offering their, their services just as, a, as script writers. It is something which I recognize we're in a privileged position and there is really a paucity of 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 sort of steps and quality uh, access to access to quality talent out there at the moment without going through and spending a lot of time on platforms like X, Twitter, which seems to be where there is a lot of talent, but you have to spend time finding it. So when you are going through the hiring process, how do you hire? How do you think about screening this person, judging for a good fit? So I think one of the mistakes we made initially was relying too much on the traditional approach of we want people's CVs, we want cover letters, we want like written answers to questions. I think we very quickly realized that CVs although helpful, I kind of don't really give us a full picture of, of the person. And essentially, we learned not to hire the CV, not to hire the resume. And we didn't actually do that at all. But the, the, the mechanism that we've got now is that every single job description that we put out, people need to record a loom of some description, whether it's like a two minute introduction, whether it's the trial task is a loom. In some way, we need to have some level of interaction with them to know kind of who they are, what they're like. And that has helped speed up the application process immensely. It's, it's impossible really to tell from purely text-based um, applications who someone is, what they're like, that kind of thing. Whereas a loom and getting them on video and making sure they're comfortable on video, that kind of thing is, makes such a difference to, has made such a difference to our hiring process. And the second thing is getting, get, having a trial task as well. I think it's fairly relatively standard now that for job applications to have trial tasks. And again, that has helped speed up the process of, of hiring immensely and helped us spot quality talent far quicker than if we had sort of just been looking at CVs or resumes, just been looking at cover letters and then gone out with a trial task. One of the other things which I would just sort of mention for people kind of on the fence about hiring is that I think sometimes people build up hiring as something which is some big thing, which needs a lot of thought and effort and decision and discussion and it does to a certain extent, but if you're looking just to get someone on board to help with certain tasks that you haven't hired before, you know, we still often rely on Google Forms just to create a simple Google Form with instructions for what the job will be, video explaining what the job description will be, few questions, Loom video, trial task, and that's it. Like two years ago, we used Workable and we had, you know, multiple different rounds of video-based questions and just was a bit of a faff. And we realized that actually simplifying it and making it as easy as possible for, for both us to put together, but also for applicants to, or somewhat easy for applicants to apply, it's just sped things up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I find myself in this position of stretch where I'm starting to hire, I should probably hire more. I haven't hired anybody full time yet, but I'm recognizing that what I need more than anything is this like general manager role, a generalist who can also manage but what, what's been scary to this point has been uh, trust. 
because this person is going to see everything, need access to everything, bank accounts, QuickBooks, Gusto to pay contractors, like they are seeing and getting access to everything. So can you talk a little bit about how trust is built in this position and how we should think about vetting somebody to be uh, this generalist, you know, number two type role? That's a really interesting question um, because to a certain extent, the answer is trust is built like over time, (laughs) not necessarily something which can be given overnight. I think I was fortunate in that Ali is generally quite a trusting person and probably at times overly trusting to be like, oh yeah, access here kind of thing. But I think it's it's built over time, but it's also built through, you know, when I started with Ali, it was never full time to start with. It was, you know, what I was on a per project basis. So I started as a freelancer and it was trust through delivery and reliability of the actual task I was set doing to start with, which was research and writing. Once I could do that, then Ali was like, can you learn how to edit and edit this next video for me? And I was like, okay. And so delivery on things like that and stepping up to the plate and kind of having that enthusiasm and commitment to what that person is doing. And I think that's relatively straightforward for a creator to spot. I think it's it's clear to see when someone is committed to what you're creating um, and you can kind of rely on them. Hiring people and making sure that you trust them enough to be able to give them QuickBooks access is just part of, I think, the, the growth journey um, of, of of growing as a creator um, and, and being able to trust employees when as you bring them on. And what I'm not hearing you say, but I'm not saying you're not saying this is important, but you know, sometimes I ask myself, well, if I'm going to give this type of access to things, do they need to be full-time employees? Do I need to have like an ironclad contract to secure myself and credentials and access to these things? How do you think about the level of trust that comes with like intellectual property or security stuff? I think definitely having people on full-time contracts will definitely allow you to protect yourself far more than just having, you know, giving access to freelancers. You know, for, for us, the only, we, we don't even give access to like YouTube studio to you know, random freelancers, they have to be on a contract and it's things like that. So the contract definitely does help. You could firm that up even further with um, NDAs and other such other such um, documents. We don't generally do that unless we are sort of creating a product that is yet to be released or announced and that kind of thing. But I think on a kind of more broader level, even with that level of protection, there is a degree to which you just need to build up that sort of subjective quality of trust with someone over time. Um, and that that comes through, as I said, like just being able to trust them to deliver fundamentally on their work to start with. I think that is the that is like the baseline. And then from there, it, you, you should be able to give over more of 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 your whatever it is you're, you happen to be wanting to give to them and give access to. So I'm watching this. I'm a creator. I'm feeling stretched. I want to make my first hire. Maybe it's a video editor. Maybe it's a, a GM style person. How do I think about hiring full time versus part time? What type of litmus test do you use for that? It really does depend on kind of what the role is. I think one of the one of the key books that that we used when we were initially starting to go through the rounds of hiring was a book called The Who Method for Hiring. And one of the things that they say in that is like the first point of failure of hiring is not actually defining what you want from that position. And so having an idea of like what is the mission, the outcomes and the competencies that you want from a role and only then thinking about, okay, with this outlined, is this a full-time role or is this a part-time role? Then I think I would go to the question of, do I want to bring someone on full-time as like a full-time employee or do I want to just bring them on as a contractor to start with? And my recommendation would be 
either you have them on a probation period if you are going to bring them on full time or have them on my recommendation would be have them as a contractor for a month and see whether they perform if not you know part ways and if they do bring them on more i think definitely one of the things that that, that we've learned for sure is to test in a freelance or contractor capacity first before you bring people on full-time we never necessarily had a problem with that per se but it just gives you so much more sort of bandwidth to be able to be like okay is this person the right fit is this actually the right role that we need in this month-long period that we're having kind of trialing this person have i actually realized ah shit you know this was the wrong the wrong role i actually should have hired for another role you know i think the other thing there is a lot i see a lot of creators go down the route of i'll hire a script writer and a video editor and a thumbnail designer and a the issue with that for me is is that people end up spending a lot of time managing freelancers and managing multiple different people not necessarily a problem but you are then in project management mode and reducing the time that you can create mm. and so that's why again i would suggest having someone someone else do that management someone else find the the title and thumbnail designers the the script writers if you are going to outsource all of that because otherwise you do end up just living your life in notion or in Kanban boards, wherever, just managing projects. And that's not what creators should be doing. Yeah, that's that's a really good articulation that I haven't thought about before because I'm exactly here. I have hired really great functional uh, people to do specific things, but I'm managing everything. And so now that I'm managing everything, the the pull is to hire a manager. But now I'm also going to have to train that manager on everything to manage the the individual specialists. Whereas if I would have hired a generalist, they would have learned it. They would be hiring and training the specialists and they would not need train because they basically would have learned on the job. That's that's an interesting, different way of going about it. The other kind of key point to this is the kind of SOP, SOPification of everything um, and having operating procedures and things like that to make that training a lot, lot simpler. Part of the thing with with Ali and I is I've been working for Ali for like four years now and I've kind of grown with the team and so I haven't needed to sort of come on him, train me because we've kind of been learning and training alongside each other, I guess. But I think if someone is bringing someone on, having those things written down and documented, although it might be really dull to create initially, will save so much time in the long run. I think it's then thinking about, okay, how can I make the training of this so straightforward and easy and then you can use that training as a way to measure capabilities because if someone comes on and can't follow your instructions, if you think they're simple enough mm. and, and easy enough to follow, then that's a good flag for them maybe not being the right person. When we come back, we talk about incentivizing your people and Angus shares a hot take about what he sees happening in the next few years. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Podcast Movement. For the past decade, Podcast Movement has organized the world's largest gathering of podcasters featuring thousands of attendees, hundreds of breakout sessions, panels, and workshops, plus the largest trade show in podcasting. Podcast Movement helps podcasters of all experience levels create, grow, and profit from their show. It's suitable for beginners, but you'll also have the opportunity to meet some of the biggest names in the industry. I've been to several Podcast Movement events, and not only is the programming incredible, but the culture and vibe are incredible too. It attracts thoughtful, empathetic, and collaborative people, which makes sense when you think about the medium of podcasting. Podcast Movement hosts two events per year. The first just wrapped up, but their flagship conference is happening August 19th through the 22nd in Washington, D.C. Attendees have the freedom to choose their own adventure across several different stages throughout the four-day event, not to mention dozens of amazing networking events, parties, 
and the expo hall floor. Tracks include podcast creation, video and live streaming, industry professional, plus several stages of curated programming from some of the top companies in podcasting. It's truly a unique event, and if you are a podcaster, I cannot recommend it enough. Right now, tickets are available at super duper early bird pricing. And as a Creator Science listener, you can save $50 on top of that by visiting podcastmovement.com slash science. That's podcastmovement.com slash science. And now please enjoy the rest of my conversation with Angus Parker. Let's say that I did successfully hire or nurtured someone into being a really great team member. How do I keep them interested, happy, enjoying working with me versus going off to some new opportunity because other people also recognize, oh, wow, this person is talented and doing really great work. Let's try to hire them. Yeah, I think it's it's a combination of having a very open and transparent culture for us, as well as appropriate incentivization. We have a, well, I think we have a very competitive base salary for our employees, but we also have a number of benefits on, on top of that, obviously in tr- traditional, like, you know, just health insurance and things like that. But also we run, we have a nine day fortnight. So every other week people get Fridays off. We have, and I know before anyone starts saying it, we have unlimited leave. And I know there's a lot of issues around that. Um, people, it's a very controversial topic for people. Some people say it actually the results of people taking less leave, et cetera, et cetera. So, and obviously now we are fully remote. There's people can work from literally anywhere. And so we do have a lot of benefits. And I, I think there's partly the incentivization side of things like that, but also it's, it's the culture and the, the um, values that you embody as a team as well, which I think are almost more important to keeping people on. Because if you're having to rely on financial rewards or incentives too much to keep people in, engaged in like what you're trying to achieve, I don't think that's a good place to be personally, because then you are always constantly trying to compete with others purely based on price. And if you can compete with others in the same way, in a kind of commercial sense, you can compete with others based on like value that you're providing as well as value that you're, that you, that feel that people feel as part of, part of the company, then that's a better place to be. It's interesting. You said that you have a flat compensation model for the core team. And I've, I've heard you share on the Passion Fruit podcast mm. as well that you guys, at least at one point, had some sort of like bonus incentive that is also yes. relatively flat. Is that is that still a thing? Yep. Yep. Still a thing. Ali and I spent a lot of time thinking about how can we reward performance um, and uh, reward, you know, whether through incentive bonuses or, or whatever, like we went back and forth on a lot of different ideas and models. And we settled on one that was essentially completely flat um, in, in the sense of what we have is that over and above a certain threshold of operating profit, the percentage of, of that extra money is split uh, flat across the team. So pro rata across the team. So anyone who's a full-time employee will get, and he's worked for the whole year, will get exactly the same amount. And we still have that. And what we found is that that kind of does engender everyone to sort of pull together um, in a more collective way. It doesn't encourage sort of individual incentives to outperform one another or prioritize some one person's actions over another person's actions. You know, a lot of people end up helping each other. And one of our core values is, is be a team player. It has actually, I've noticed, helped uh, bring people closer together. And I think we we haven't had a comparative period where we've had the opposite where we've rewarded people purely based on individual performance and so i can't compare it to anything however i would imagine that 
even if it was sort of subconscious and somewhat subtle, there would be a shift in motives and attitudes on certain things if we had a more kind of individual-based approach to bonuses. That's incredible. Well, this one major question I think people have around businesses like this is how do you incentivize or not even incentivize? How do you make people happy and motivated operating behind the name of another individual? How do you guys, how do you guys think about that? Does it come down to the hiring process? Because some people who themselves might fancy being in front of camera, I would imagine might have a hard time doing that. I think it does come down to the hiring process because it, it depends on who the individual is. Like I couldn't imagine anything worse than doing what Ali does. <laughs> you're doing it right now. I'm sorry. You're having such yeah, a bad I know, time. I know I am. Yeah. <laughs> bad time to say that. No, but um, I, I'm, I'm happy doing interviews and I'm happy doing, doing what appears to be a, an audio podcast, but I know it's a video as well. But no, I, I, I couldn't, I, I'm not necessarily interested in building out a personal brand that has like a face to it that, you know, is, is purely engaged in creating video based content every single week. And so I think it's, I've certainly noticed when, when doing hires and things like that, when there are people who are like, Oh, I want to join the company because I want to know and get experience of how to grow uh, my own channel. And I'm like, well, probably not going to be a fit then because that's not kind of the point. (laughs) We want people who are, good at what they do and uh, are keen to help grow the brand and the business independent of their own pursuits. Like we have people in the company who have their own YouTube channels, who have their own personal project stuff, but fundamentally no one in the company, in my opinion, is not bought into sort of growing Ali's brand and is not bothered by the fact that it's growing someone else's brand. I've heard Mr. Beast talk about his attempts to hire from traditional media people who have like traditional entertainment and media backgrounds. Have you guys looked at that or tried that at all? We've had coaching from various people who are from more traditional backgrounds and, and that kind of thing. And there's definitely stuff that we have taken from the traditional world into our own business. You know, tra- Traction, the book by Gina Whitman's probably the one that shaped the our company and growth more than any other. And that's fundamentally built off more traditional companies and structures and that kind of thing. And so there's definitely lessons that we can learn from it. But I do think if someone has had exposure and experience to the traditional world for years, decades, it's harder to move into the creative space. I don't think it's not, it's impossible necessarily. I think it would be harder for both the creator to work with the traditional person, like person and the traditional person to work with the creator. So I think, yeah, the, the less developed the business is, I think the harder, harder it is. But that being said, you know, even Mr. Beast, who probably has one of the most developed businesses in the creative space, struggle to do it as well. So I, th- I do think there is something there which doesn't quite always work. Is there, is there something that you believe to be true, but you don't yet have data to support it? I think that agencies will struggle over the next five to 10 years. Ooh, let's hear it. Love that. I just think, and I, I get the sense, and, and this might be strongly influenced by the fact that we bought some of our sponsorship stuff in-house and realized the benefit of doing that. But I think incentives are never truly aligned when creators and and agencies work together. And I know that there's a lot of creators who work with very good agencies or a lot of very good agencies out there. I'm not having a go at agencies necessarily. However, I think potentially over the next 10, five, 10 years, as creators realize that they're the ones with more power and control and they have the ability to you know, control their own outcomes and their own destinies. 
And as they get better at hiring uh, <laughs> and bringing on more team members, they realize that actually having an agency handle a lot of stuff, whilst it can help um, ameliorate issues and speed things up and agencies obviously have contacts and that kind of thing, they do lose control. And fundamentally, agencies are businesses at the end of the day. Like they need to be concerned about their own profits and their own revenues and things like that. So I don't necessarily hold it against them that they have different incentives to the creators, but they're always going to prioritize those over and above the creator's needs at some point. Some might do it earlier than others, but they still will. And I just have a hunch that creators might start to realize that a bit more and try to go more direct to brands. I might be wrong. I could have said that 10 years ago, potentially, but that's kind of my vaguely, vaguely lukewarm take. <laughs>